Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Addy Pollock, VP of Developer Experience at LakeFS, and we'll be talking about data access control. Addy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm super excited to be with you here today and to discuss all the good stuff um, around security. Awesome. Yes, thanks for being here. I know it took a little while to uh, negotiate our schedules to make this work, but uh, I guess that's good news. We both work for fast-moving startups that have lots of things going on, so it's sometimes hard to, hard to figure out scheduling. But um, I'm excited to talk about you know access control, security, dig into your background, and maybe we can start with a few basics. So you know, who are you? What's your you know educational background, work history, and how did you end up where you are today? Oh, wow. I'm going all the way back to educational background. <laughs> um, so I have a master's uh, in computer science uh, and with a thesis. And my master's was actually on the topic of cybersecurity and machine learning. So how we can leverage machine learning in order to solve cybersecurity problems. Um, so I used to work with system calls and detecting uh, active patterns in uh um, in operation systems and machines, essentially, in order to detect um, malicious activities and so on. Uh, and later on, um, I built the same project for IBM. So I was working as part of the lab as a machine learning researcher dealing with cybersecurity problems. And IBM just opened uh, a lab next to my lab, and they hired a bunch of good folks uh, for this project uh, where I was able to leverage my thesis work in order to solve uh, security problems for IBM, not looking at system calls anymore, but at a higher, higher level, um, looking at network packets to detect patterns and kind of malicious behavior. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, during that time, I realized that I've been doing a lot of machine learning, I've been doing a lot of cybersecurity, but the actual culprit was getting access to the data in order to develop the models, in order to solve the problems. And during the project with IBM, I got exposed to big data and a dupe uh, ecosystem. IBM, I think, one was one of the first to uh, leverage Spark or invest heavily in Spark. I think it was back in 2015 or 14 or 13 even, maybe. Um, and so I was using um, Spark and Hadoop um, to, so I translated my algorithm uh, that I built for my thesis to that space. Uh, and during these times, I fell in love with um, data systems. Uh, so my next career step was actually to move into building uh, big data systems for security analytics. So I didn't quite live the security space, but I wasn't doing machine learning anymore. I was actually dealing with the data and the complexity of data and having solid indexing um, and so on. Um, that was a really interesting experience. And then I um, realized I enjoy building communities and I enjoy working with developers and educating developers and contributing out of my knowledge and experience. Uh, so at some point, I moved into being more active, contributing to open source uh, as a hobbyist, uh, creating conferences and meetups and managing some of the meetups um, till I'm doing it now full time um, for LakeFS, uh, where I'm leading the developer experience team 
Uh, and our goal is to make sure developers has everything they need in order to be successful with LakeFest. And that includes documentation, tutorials, uh, community, a vibrant community. Uh, we're doing public speaking, um, demos, applications, sample applications, and so on. So everything we can in order to enable more developers take advantage of the technology, essentially. Yeah, that's that's an awesome background. I mean, it's it's actually I I think the thing as as someone who also did a, a master's degree that I might be most blown away by is that you're actually able to find a practical application for your master's thesis uh, directly uh, with IBM, which is which is great. That doesn't always happen. Um, I feel like this you know the world of AI and security that you started, uh, you know, somewhat your your career in is now like a super hot area with everything that's kind of happening with generative AI. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting space that you were you know part of for a long time, even back in you know before anybody knew what ChatGPT was. Yeah, I mean, back in those days, we said that machine learning, I remember in the lab that the main conversation was, you know what, machine learning is going to take over the world because hackers are going to use machine learning. And so, you know, white hat folks needs to leverage that as well in order to find solutions in the right, uh, in the right time and manner, right? So we won't be, be we won't get behind. Um, and we're starting seeing that happening, how um, different players or uh actors, I guess is the right term because we're speaking about security, but you know, more malicious actors are leveraging machine learning to do all those things. And talking about chat GPT and what it brings, I think, you know, I'm not an expert on chat GPT for sure. I'm not working for <laughs> OpenAI. Um, but it's really interesting to see that it was built over large data, right? It's a machine learning model that was built out of a large corpus of data. Um, that was collected from the internet. We don't know how, we don't know exactly who owns which data, um, which actually has another implication of privacy. Um, it's not a, you know, it's one of the topics in the space of security, uh, privacy of our data. Um, but it's very interesting to see how it's going to uh, evolve. I know a lot of companies are leaning in, actually saying, you know, this is, Amazing! It's like the next the the, the innovation of these times. Uh, how can we build more things, do more things, uh, build knowledge systems, um, enable people to be more productive, and so on? Um, yeah, there are also security challenges around privacy. Um, can we trust some of the suggestions it provide us? Would it expose us to data that we're not on, we're not supposed to see, for example? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so lots of interesting stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think well, I need to do a, a deep dive uh, show just on uh, ChatGPT and privacy. But one of the things you touched on there is like, you know, are we seeing essentially information that we shouldn't see or, or even in the ChatGPT sense, it's maybe is the machine learning algorithm seeing information that it shouldn't see, which I think kind of, you know, brings us to a bit of the, the topic that we're talking about today, which is around data access control. So. You know, starting with the basics, what are some of the common types of data access control? Oh, wow. Um, well, there's so many types and it really depends on where and how we store the data, right? So the first basic thing is who can access it, right? Who, when, what, what can they see? How do we store the data? How do we... Um, make sure uh, to delete it on time if we need to in terms of privacy. Um, 
And it becomes more challenging when we're combining it with analytics a little bit, because if you think about a table, and for example, I need to give specific control to, uh, to people, um, and people can run aggregations, but they're not necessarily able to see the raw data, they can learn about how the raw data was in some scenarios just by looking at the aggregations. So the whole topic of data and access control uh, becomes super interesting. Um, and we can think about it also from another angle around the different personalities in organizations, right? So if I have a data warehouse or if I have a data lake, we can think through like what's the right permissions uh, that we should give to each one of these folks in order to um, do their job, right? Because we can harden the system as much as, as as much as possible, but then we're giving up on uh, the ability to actually being productive. So we need to be able to strike that balance in terms of what are the policies that we're developing, what are the permissions that we give while still maintaining the system secure and making sure there is uh, there's privacy. Um, I can go into specific data personas if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think um, there's there's always this balance, right, that you touched on between uh, an organization being able to utilize the information in the way that they need to to do to use it uh, for people to be able to do their job function or whatever reason essentially they're collecting the information for in the first place, but also balance that with the right security and privacy practices, and that that is a sometimes a difficult sort of thing to to balance correctly how does i guess things like you know role-based access control or other types of controls that you might have on the data like fit into that world of essentially balancing utility versus the security of the system i think there's a very important role around how we design it um so if we're looking at role-based access control our back essentially we need to design it in a way we're enabling people to do their job and getting exposed just to the things they should get exposed. Um, and this is a tricky balance because, and it depends also on the size of the organization, it's much easier to give access for everything. Uh, and I've seen it with a lot of companies. It's like, oh, you know, you, you just take admin permissions or you know full ownership or whatever the tables um, but then many times we are exposed to security risks uh, where the data is sensitive but we didn't declare it as sensitive or someone you know didn't do the modeling of the data what exists and what is considered sensitive for their, their organization um, that this is usually when problems occur and so investing in modeling um, the data, not in terms of how we save it, how we save it, it's one thing, but actually who can access it, who has permissions, who needs to use it, who is the owner of the data, who does it serve at the end of the day. And then building policies around that in order to make sure that this is being addressed. Now, it's also a question of tooling because not all tooling enables us the flexibility of policies, right? So depending on the tooling that we use, we need to make sure we're using the right tools for us to develop the policies that we need. So also when we're introducing new technologies or we're introducing new systems, 
one of the main questions that you know data engineers, architects, um, CISO, and so on need to ask themselves is, does this tool enable me to enforce uh, the policies that I should enforce in the organization around data? Um, and this is a big question, right? Not everything supports everything. Yeah, so you touched on, you know, I think one of the, the big challenges that organizations face when it comes to data access control. One is, you know, do they essentially have um, the ability to create policies that give them the, the maybe the fine-grained tuning that they need? But additionally, you know, they might have data in lots of different locations, and then that becomes a challenge of how do you, like, control or like even create policies that are um, consistent across all those different systems and give people access to the right data. So what are some of the additional challenges that organizations might face and how do they go about actually trying to like address these challenges? So some of the challenges are not all tools enables uh, the level of flexibility in order to, to write the policy that companies need. So they need to be able to come up with um, criterias, requirements for the tools that they're onboarding. Uh, I've seen a lot of people or other companies that are kind of following the blueprint that they get from the company. It's like, oh, thank you. This is the blueprint. I'll just copy what this company is suggesting to do. But in reality, who owns the data is the company and who is responsible for the privacy and the security of the data is the company. It's not the vendor that we're buying product from. And so taking responsibility of that, meaning that we're coming to the table, to the conversation, when we are purchasing a product or adopting an open source, we need to come in consciously saying, this is the requirements or the things that we need in order to make it happen. Um, and there's a lot of ways to negotiate. People can connect multiple systems together, but this is like the biggest problem that sometimes I see there's not always um, our requirements that people are coming with. And this is usually when problems starts to happen because th that becomes a legacy system and fixing things later become hard because now we need to take away um, capabilities from the engineers, from you know data practitioners that are consuming this data. Um, and we need to find them a different solutions because they still need to do their job. Um, so the first thing is is this and like being educated that this is the things that you need to do. Um, the second thing is finding tools that you can trust, right? That has some credibility in the industry, uh, has some proof, you know, they're working. Um, it's very hard uh, today. A lot of, um, you know, we can say black hat or hackers are actually, there's, there's known, um, um, there's no bugs or there's no <laughs> backdoors in some tools today uh, that people are taking advantage. And in the web, you can find, you know, kind of good lists or you can buy a good list of uh, where the problems are in some of these tools, even if it's kind of like a zero day um, waiting for people to take advantage of it. Um, so being conscious of that and trusting tool that has credibility, has, uh, you know, people behind it that you can trust, uh, that they're building these tools, maintaining it, um, proactive in the cybersecurity space. It's also very important because it means they're on top of, you know, on top of their field. 
so they know what's the latest and greatest things that happens. Um, and also companies that respond to incidents fast. It's also a very important factor. If, if you know, someone finds an issue and they open a ticket and so on, you want to make sure that these companies are responding fast because it's your data on the line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these are really critical, in my opinion, to, for companies to evaluate. Hey there, Sean here. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Partially Redacted. If so, please subscribe so you can always check out the latest episode and help others find the show by leaving a rating and review. Final thing before I get you back to the interview. If you're interested in privacy and security, have a challenge or issue you want to discuss, or want to share your expertise, please join the Partially Redacted community at skyflow.com slash community. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, so from like a best practices standpoint, it's not just a matter of necessarily like buying a tool, but you also need to be thinking about um, not only the features of, uh, of that the tool enables for your for your business, but what is essentially the quality of that business when it comes to, you know, incident management or dealing with bugs and how proactive, because it's like you said, it, it's, it's the, your data or your customer's data, which is so core to your business, you need to make sure that you're buying something that you can essentially rely on. Yeah, 100%. What, how, how do, you know, companies or, you know, engineering teams go about ensuring that like the data access controls are going to remain effective over time as like an organization changes and grows, you know, maybe in the early days, it's fairly simple because they have like one database and, you know, and then they're going to, maybe they add like an analytics store at some point, but over time, like you're going to get more and more systems that you essentially have to control access to. Yeah, um, from different prospects that I worked with or customers, um, usually the best practice is to split it into groups. So instead of thinking of one person as a person, let's think about them as a team, right? Let's split it into groups of data analysts, data engineers, data scientists, data ops, and so on. And then thinking through what are the things that they specifically need to work with that data. And now it depends on the company size, right? If we're looking at Fortune 500, then then there's a lot of silos and it's fine because this is by design. Every department has their own um, um, data store or data lake or data lake house uh, that they work with to be productive. Uh, but if we're looking at smaller companies, usually they'll have one or two, like one that is more operational, one that is either they're building their product or something along these lines. Um, so thinking in terms of users or a group of users, I believe it can be really beneficial because then we can say, okay, this group of users that works on this product need access to so-and-so data with so-and-so permissions. Um, this is one thing. The second thing is actually building um, what I like to say classifications of data. So if you know you have sensitive, highly sensitive um, data, making sure you're building that classification into uh, how you're saving the data to start with. So you'll know this is tagged as highly sensitive data. And so for highly sensitive data, you can develop a special policy saying, you know, highly sensitive data, only the CEO or C-level can access, for example. Um, So these are two practices that uh, work best with prospects is 
define the groups, right? Know other people who are whether they're working on, etc. And then define the classes, um, like the categorization, the sensitive, not sensitive, public information, or highly sensitive data. Um, to say. So I feel like uh, like a theme that I'm seeing from you know your suggestions around so how to manage some of this stuff is that overall like companies need to be sort of approaching this problem as if they are like develop just like you would for, with like developing a product for essentially your consumers or your users of your business you need to be thinking about like the users of your business in this case or maybe your internal people and you need to put a lot of thought into how do we need to essentially split up access to the data who needs access to what and then be probably iterating on that is probably going to be an evolving thing throughout the life you know the life uh, time of, of your of your business but it needs that kind of level of attention and detail and forethought to build something that's actually going to be robust and secure and give you the utility that you need yeah and uh, you know it all starts with classification of the data if you have data that is open for all the company then it might get simpler, right? It's never easy, but it might get to be a simpler process around these things. So understanding that level of security that you need can really help in order to bridge the gap and maybe solve some of the challenges that people are facing um, in the organization and giving the right access control, uh, developing the right policy um, can be super beneficial. And that can enable higher productivity as well. Because at the end of the day, if people don't have access to what they need, they're, they can't be productive, right? If I everything I need, I have to go through three or four hoops in order to get it, mm -hmm. uh, that piece of information uh, or data in the organization, then it makes it a bit harder for me to be productive, right? There's a system and I need to go through all the steps and all the phases in order to reach the end result. So we need to be conscious of that um, as well. So we, our company can be um, more productive and more predictable also at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to um, you know start to transition a little bit to talk to, about you know Lake FS and, and the product that you work on. So maybe we could start with just you know an introduction of Lake FS. So what is Lake FS for those that are listening? Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting solution and kind of a revolutionary um, in the ecosystem that we live at. Uh, so Lake FS provide uh, different per, uh, primitives of Git. Uh, with a big difference than Git. It doesn't use Git. It doesn't work with uh, specifically with Git. Uh, it has its own mechanism for data version control. So if Git is for source version control, LakeFS is for data version control, um, and it's based on data versioning at a large scale. And it solves lots of problems that people are facing, for example, reproducibility, um, of the state of the data. We know today that data is transient uh, and combining the old world of Hadoop together with what we have in, in the cloud and data lakes and object stores kind of bring mutability into an immutable world. So LakeFS enables us to solve the fact that data is constantly changing for different reasons. Um, 
it enables us to revert to a previous version. So if something happened in production, we did some mistakes or something, you know, accidentally we deleted all of production data, we can revert back to a stable position. Um, if we're facing, if we need to build a system that enables uh, quality checks, uh, into our data lake, into our data pipeline, sorry. Um, then Lakeifus is kind of the infrastructure that enables to do that through webhooks. So leveraging Lakeifus, we know after every phase that the data goes, not the code, we're not looking at, Lakeifus doesn't look at the code, it looks at the actual what happens to the data. So after some phases and some commits of changes to the data, we can trigger a webhook to test the data to make sure it has high quality, uh, we're saving it in the right format, it has the right schema, um, and everything that we're expecting. So it gives us this very broad, holistic capabilities in order to manage um, our data like leveraging Git primitives like branching out of our main uh, data branch, um, committing different changes that we did, merging, reverting, webhooks similar to GitHub Actions to run tests, um, and so on. So there's a lot of, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of ideas that have been inspired essentially from 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 Git, from the world of Git for source control. But what are, you know, what are the main sort of differences or benefits of using, uh, you know, LakeFS to manage the versions of your data versus just using Git directly? Yeah, that's a great question. So the main difference is scale. Um, Git doesn't scale. Git is limited to a fixed amount of data. You can't really version control terabyte with data. You know, it's not something that is supported. Um, and so we build the whole system, a very smart system um, that actually saves pointers or reference to files that sits on my object store. And so object store can be my S3, my Azure blob. Um, and so it maintains these references to the data to know what got changed. So it looks at the, the metadata. And the abstractions are the Git. Underneath the hood, it doesn't operate as Git, it doesn't use Git. But the fact that it leveraged provides the Git primitives enables people to use it the same way as they would use it with Git, with the main difference that it operates on you know, very big data that people are using today in their systems. So today people are building huge data lakes, maintaining lots of data. Um, and so they need something like that because like I mentioned before, we're bringing the old traditional Hadoop world into uh, our cloud environment, which is mutable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, typically, you know, Git was designed for source control. Typically, people aren't dealing with terabytes of of uh, of, uh, of code uh, versus what they might be dealing with in in uh, you know a data lake world. What are the what sort of model is used for data access management with WakeFS? Yeah, so there are two models. Uh, in the open source, we have ACLs, where people can define access to LakeFS as a, as a whole. Uh, and on LakeFS Cloud, we have RBAC uh, available, which has higher granularity, because this is something that we're able to manage. Um, and so we can give better security guarantees um, that really reach to the smaller granularity like 
the file name. You can decide if you want to give permission to some persona or some uh, group based on like the file name of the actual object at the end of the day, which enables the flexibility of giving different classes, right, to files saying, okay, this file is from class so-and-so because it has sensitive in its name. So we know this file is classified as sensitive and we don't want specific people to access or we want only, you know, our IT or C-level folks to, to access. Right. And then what, what are, um, you know, what are some of the other sort of privacy security features of LakeFS and some of the considerations that were put in when you were, when people, you know, essentially when the company was like designing this for managing these big, large data uh, stores? Yeah, so all the authorization process is a really interesting journey. We're connecting to, um, um, I forgot their name, Zero Oath, forgot the name, but we have a bunch of con uh, integrations um, that we have. Um, so that was a critical piece for us being able to authorize for people to get permission to even access the environment because you have a ui you have a cli um, and you have an api so authorization is really critical um, and then we have all the different policies around access who can rename the resources who can delete the resources who can even know that these files exist. So for example, I can give the highest policy saying, you know, don't even show that this file exists in, in, in this specific um, data lake. I can pre-configure pre uh, these policies. And the consideration around this process came from customers. At the end of the day, we're building it for customers or we're building it together with customers. And we have some of the biggest names uh, in security in the world that I'm not allowed to <laughs> share their names. Um, but we have some of the biggest uh, in the world that defense force some different organization or different countries. Um, and together with them, we design it to make sure it gives them everything that they need. And this is also applicable for the rest of the customers um, because it's so flexible and enables defining the, the groups, defining the operation, um, defining um, branch protection rules, um, and so on. Yeah, and I'm sure you had to go through, uh, you know, fairly robust security review and audit to uh, you know, sell into those businesses that, those unnamed businesses that are, uh, that, that are using you for, for such critical information. So, you know, what, what's next for WakeFS? I'm sure there's a ton of things, but is there anything that you can share? Yeah, we have a really interesting roadmap. Uh, I'll say the roadmap is online. So <laughs> it's available for anyone who wants to uh, take a look. Uh, one of the things I'm super, super excited for is our integration with Iceberg. Uh, we're building it together with the community. So that's huge. So we can make sure it targets the community needs and our user needs. Um, and we're having very healthy conversations in our Slack around what are the features, how should we go about that, what should we enable. Um, and so LakeFS uh, together with Iceberg uh, is something that I am super excited for. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, we can, you know, probably link to the, the roadmap in the, in the show notes. And, you know, tie, going back to sort of data access control, you know, you've worked in 
the sort of intersection of, of data security and AI for a long time. Where do you see this world going in the next you know, five or maybe 10 years? What we're seeing around governance, this, this is a US-based thing, right? Each state is now developing their own governance, like who can access the data, who owns the data, and so on. So I think the biggest thing going forward for you know, the security industry is actually figuring out how can companies support the different policies coming from different states. Yeah, and uh, even, even on a country basis now, there's you know, over 100 like privacy or 100, 100 countries with privacy regulations. And then you look at the US, there might could be 50 different <laughs> regulations based on each state. The, the days of just thinking about navigating GDPR, or th th those were the simple days of privacy and security. Now we're, we're really entering the, uh, the uh, a very challenging phase from just like a navigation and understanding uh, st standpoint for businesses. Yeah, it's like, you know, the data the data community is all about breaking the silos and the machine learning community is all about give us data so we can build the best models. And the data governance security is all about, oh, wait, we have a couple of hundred new policies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, slow down, everybody. Let's, let's take a step back and figure out what we're doing here. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Um. Well, I'm happy to share that uh, my book was released a couple of months ago, so it's available in print. Uh, if everyone is, anyone is interesting, interested in that, I wrote a book about scaling uh, machine learning with Spark, uh, some of the hard-earned uh, experience and knowledge I learned about uh, how to work with uh, existing tools and organization and also how to connect it to the rest of the ecosystems to build systems. I also have a very short section about Byzantine actors uh, in machine learning. Uh, I didn't dive deeply into it, but I did add it as uh, for people that wants to dive further. Uh, so as a resource for people who wants to continue investigate what could be kind of a malicious activities uh, in the space um, of distributed machine learning. Um, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's available on the O'Reilly platform. Um, yeah, I'd love to know what you think. Awesome. Well, I will definitely include a link to that in the show notes as well. And Addy, thank you so much for, for being here. Hopefully we run into each other uh, on another trip that you're in the, the US for, but it was great to dive into you know, the world of access control, data lakes, Lake FS, dip into your you know, very interesting and um, you know, uh, uh, like I think diverse background in, in the world of, of tech and security. But uh, thanks so much for being here and cheers. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, looking forward to our next get together. <laughs>